I invite you to stand as we come for the reading of our sermon text this morning, uh, which comes uh, from the book of 2 Chronicles. We continue our uh, sermon series uh, through the uh, kingship of uh, King Jehoshaphat. And this morning we turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 17. We read verses 7 uh, through 19. Again, hear the word of the Lord. Also in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Hail, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nethanel, and Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them he sent Levites, Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Azahel, Shemeramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, Tobadonijah, the Levites, and with them Elishama and Jehoram, the priests. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And the fear of the Lord fell in all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Also, some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tribute. And the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. So Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful and he built fortresses and storage cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. These are their numbers according to their father's houses. Of Judah, the captain of thousands, Adna, the captain with him, 300,000 mighty men of valor. And next to him was Jehonan, the captain, and with him 208,000. And next to him was Amasiah, the son of Zikri, who willingly offered himself to the Lord, and with him 200,000 mighty men of valor. Of Benjamin, Eliada, a mighty man of valor, and with him 200,000 men armed with bow and shield. And next to him was Jehozabad, and with him 180,000 prepared for war. They served the king besides those the king put in the fortified cities throughout all Judah. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as you've given to us these words on this day, God, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would apply these words unto our hearts, that we might have more understanding of your grace. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we began last week to look at the early life of King Jehoshaphat, one of the things that we noticed about Jehoshaphat is that he was following a man who started out well and ended very poorly. His father Asa had been a man after God's own heart and had at the end of his life given himself over to idols and to the Baals. And so Jehoshaphat had come into the kingdom with a need to fix things up. You know, not only had things spiritually uh, disintegrated in the time of Asa, uh, but as we heard last week, they also had fallen short physically. You know, at the beginning of chapter 17, it says that one of the first things that Jehoshaphat did would strengthen himself against Israel. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and sent garrisons in the land of Judah and the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. 
Now, one of the things that happens in the book of First uh, and Second Chronicles that's worth noting is that the the writer isn't always following everything in simple chronological order. In fact, beginning at verse seven, we're we're kind of taking a step back for a moment, and we're learning exactly how Jehoshaphat went about filling uh, these fortified cities and the garrisons in the land of Judah. What we see there in verse 7, it says, In the third year of his reign, he sends leaders and Levites and those out to go and to teach the people. Now, one of the reasons why the writer of 2 Chronicles tells us that this happens in the third year of his reign is that for the first three years, he had kind of been co-king with his father Asa. we, We talked last week how Asa... As it tells us at the end of chapter 16, you know, had a fallen down with a malady. It says that it was diseased in his feet and that it hurt him severely. And Jehoshaphat had kind of stepped in and had taken care of a few things. Now in the third year is when his father Asa dies. Now, as many of you may know, if you're working with somebody... You know, especially when you're working with somebody who may not agree with you, you know, there's not a whole lot that you can get done. You know, the book of Amos uh, describes, uh, can one who is in disagreement with the Lord walk with the Lord? And of course, the answer is no. You, know, you have Asa who has been seeking the wisdom of Baal, and you have Jehoshaphat who's been seeking the wisdom of the Lord. And Jehoshaphat is somewhat limited in what he can do to rebuild this kingdom that his father has allowed to kind of fall into disrepair. And so that's why here in verse 7, we see that one of the first things that Jehoshaphat does is that he sends uh, his leaders. And we hear of Ben-Hail, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nethanel, and Micaiah. Now, it's worth noting that these aren't the prophets that we hear of later on in the Bible. As as you can imagine, these names are popular names in the land of Judah. And so just because we hear of Zechariah and Obadiah doesn't mean that these are the prophets that bear the names of the book of the Bible uh, that that, that contain their prophecies. These are uh, the kinds of men who would be engaged in... In a civil activity. In other words, these men have been called by Jehoshaphat to go and reorganize the court system. To go into the kind of local courthouse and fix all the problems. Because again, one of the things that always happens when you have a morally uh, questionable leader is one of the first things that falls apart is basic civil order. And so one of the first things Jehoshaphat goes to fix is this kind of daily life of the people of Judah. So he sends these leaders out. And he sends them out and they go to teach in the cities of Judah. Now, this is an important thing that we see uh, regularly in the Old Testament. You know, you think back to the book of Exodus. When Moses has brought the people of God out of the land of bondage, and one of the first things he does is establish the civil order of the camps. 
And he does this under the wisdom of his father-in-law, Jethro. Read there in Exodus 18 as as Jethro uh, is speaking to his son-in-law and he says, here's what you need to do. Okay, You need to talk to the captains and you need to make sure that they go back to the tribes and that the tribe of Asher understands what its responsibility is and the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Judah and the tribe of, uh, of, of whatever is responsible for its own uh, labors and it's for its own order. And this order cannot be just kind of arbitrary. You know, Jethro tells Moses that the, 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 the civil order has to be based on what God has revealed to His people. And this is one of the reasons why the books of, uh, of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers are full of all of these somewhat or seemingly somewhat mundane details about what each of these individuals is responsible for. Because again, this moral activity that Jehoshaphat wants to fix can't really happen until the civil order itself is fixed. It's one of the reasons why, as I mentioned in the pastoral prayer, that, that Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 that we're to pray for those in authority over us. Because again, we, we cannot be free to go out and preach the gospel if the nation is in chaos. If, if we you know, think of uh, you know, missionaries, for example, in a land like Somalia. Now, you, you hear much of Somalia, and we know, we, we hear this word failed state used sometimes to describe Somalia. There, there's no order from Mogadishu as to what's going on in the countryside. And so, if you go to Mogadishu, you, you don't know who's supposed to check you in at the airport because the government has no authority over the, over the airport. And while here in 2 Chronicles 17, Jehoshaphat understands this. And so that's why the first order of business is to send these leaders, send these judges out to the cities to instruct the cities and to prepare them so that he can then send these priests, these Levites that we hear about in verse 8. Again with him, he sent Levites, Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Azahel, Shemeramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, Tobadonijah, the Levites, and with them Elisham and Joram the priests. Now, notice what Jehoshaphat has them do. Again, as these judges have gone into the cities and have organized things and have kind of set the place, he sends the Levites and the priests, and what do the Levites and the priests go and do? Well, we're told in verse 9 that they go and teach the book of the law of the Lord. Now, what in the world is the chronicler talking about here? What is the book of the law of the Lord? Well, later on, we'll hear something about good King Josiah. And you remember the kind of key thing we remember about King Josiah is that he was engaged in rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem. And as he's engaged in rebuilding the walls, what do they find? Right? They find the book of the law of the Lord in the wall. And as soon as the, the men start reading this aloud, what does Josiah do? Right? We, we hear and see this, this image of him falling on his face, tearing his clothing, pouring sackcloth and ashes over him because he realizes 
that not only has Israel not been following the law, they didn't even know what the law was. And that book that is found in the walls of Jerusalem is the book of Deuteronomy. And when we think about the book of Deuteronomy, you know, one of the things that's important to remember about that book is that Moses wrote that book in preparation for the people of God to go into the land of Palestine, into the land of promise, into the land that God had given to Abraham and to all of his descendants. And that book begins by reminding Israel about what God had done for them. That God had brought them out of bondage to slavery in Egypt. That God had established this land that His people might live therein. And one of the things that uh, we hear in the midst of the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy is uh, that the people of God are to not only observe these laws, but that they are to love these laws that God has given to them. And, and why are the people to love the law? Well, again, where does the law come from? Again, the law of God is not an arbitrary thing that the church has come up with. Right? The law of God is not something that God is testing us with. Right? The law of God is a reflection of who God is. It's a reflection of His character. When we think about the law that says, Thou shalt not steal... It's not that God said, well, maybe I'll make it illegal to steal. We'll see how that works. That's not how God thinks. That's not how the law works. Why is it wrong to steal? Because who has given to us individually these particular items? Well, God Himself has given these things to us. And so stealing is robbing from God. It's robbing from the blessings that God has given to another. And this is in reference, again, to think about the nature of what God has done for us. And when we think of this robbery, you know, one of the words that we see used to describe what Christ has done is given to us in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but came in the form of man. And why did He do that? Again, it's the free offer, the free gift of Himself for the salvation of men. And so when we think of the Eighth Commandment, again as an example, we see something about the nature of who God is and what has been done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Jehoshaphat here is establishing the the, the ritual life, uh, the moral life of the people of God, well he does exactly again what God has given to His people. Again, He gives to them the book of the law of the Lord that they might learn... Again, not only the kind of details of you know, the law, but that they might be reminded of who their God is and what He has done for them in the past. Because again, that's the only foundation upon which any of our lives can be built. And if we want to obey the law of the Lord, if we want to obey this law that God has given to us, Again, the foundation of that obedience cannot be in the flesh. Again, the, the, the obedience uh, that we give to the law cannot be founded on our own power and our own abilities. Because again, you know, think about what's happening here in Second Chronicles. You know, Jehoshaphat is going before the priest, reestablishing order in the nation... 
And you think about what happens to us individually through the work of the Holy Spirit. Again, what has to happen to us in order for us to obey the law is that we must be put back in order. What's wrong with us spiritually? Again, before the work of the Holy Spirit, we're dead in sin. But not only that, we are disordered in our mind and in our soul. You think about what it is that we see around us that is causing so much disruption and so much division in the world. Of course, we understand that it's sin that causes these things. And what's the only answer for sin? The only answer for sin is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the only way that Israel in the time of Jehoshaphat is going to be put back in order... Again, it's through uh, this revelation that God had given in the book of Deuteronomy to remind the people of God that their faith, their obedience, must be founded upon what God has done for them. And what God not only has done for them, but how God will establish them in this land going forward. It's one of the reasons why it's always important for us when we read the Ten Commandments, for example to read the first verse of Exodus 20. Because when God is revealing the Ten Commandments to Moses, He begins by saying, not, you shall have no other gods before me, but He begins that revelation by reminding the people and reminding Moses that out of the land of Egypt I have bought you. You Out of bondage I have brought you into this state, into this place where you now live. Therefore, have no other gods before me. Again, we see this similarly in the New Testament when Jesus is establishing the law in the lives of the people. We hear there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And what he means there is, first of all, that he hasn't come to get rid of the law. But He has come to re-establish the relationship uh, that redeemed men and women have with the commandments of the Lord. Again, this is something that the Apostle John will will get into deeply uh, in his first epistle. When when, when he's writing to the people that he's writing to, he he explains to them uh, that their salvation, their redemption is not found in their obedience to the law. And you think of what he says there in 1 John chapter 4. In the relationship there. Again, we don't love God first. Again, what happens first? We love God because God first loved us. And why is that important for us to remember? Because again, the foundation of our faith is not on the works that we have accomplished, but it's on the work that God has accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. Again, we have been made new creatures in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We have been re-established through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the power of these things. One of the other ways we see in the midst of these things is the way uh, that uh, later on in the time of Hezekiah, uh, we will see Hezekiah as he is trying to re-establish these things in the land of of, uh, uh, in the land of Judah, that as he uh, is writing, as he's speaking, he says in Second Chronicles 35, prepare yourselves according to your father's houses, according to your divisions, following the written instruction of David, king of Israel, and the written instruction of Solomon, his son. 
Now, when he says that, he isn't saying, go back and look at the blueprints that David wrote up for the temple. What he's talking about there is that they are to go back to what David has written concerning himself and concerning the revelation that God has given to them. Now again, think about what's the first thing that we read of David that he has written in the Bible. Of course, when we think of things David wrote, of course we think of the Psalms. right? The Psalms that bear his name. and You think of the first Psalm. And the first Psalm speaks of the blessedness of those who are what? Who are obedient to the law. But remember there, the relationship. How are these people blessed through being obedient to the law? Right? Through being established, through being planted by the rivers of flowing water. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know of any trees that have ever just decided to plant themselves. And again, many of y'all have grown up on farms. You understand how seeds get in the ground. Right? They don't just randomly appear in rows. Right? They don't just happen to uh, be planted in certain places. It's not magic how we have acres of corn. Somebody has to go out there and first of all, what do they have to do? Right? They have to plow the ground up. Right? They have to prepare the soil. And then, after the soil has been prepared, what has to happen? Well, somebody has to go out there and put the seeds in the ground. And after the seeds are put in the ground, do we just kind of leave it there? You know, do we go back to the house and wait six months and come back and see if any corn grows? Right? Well, I mean, I guess you could do that, but what's the result of that kind of farming? Right? It's not what we would call successful farming, right? right? Those seeds have to be nurtured, right? The seeds have to be taken care of. They have to be watered. They have to be protected from enemies. You know, not only of a you know, living kind of animals and the like, but they have to be protected from disease. They have to be protected from the weather. They have to be protected from all of these things. We can think about Psalm 1 again, this first testimony of David. Again, these, these seeds when planted are planted by the, by the flowing river, right? By the living water. And they are guided and protected and, and, and watched over and they are established and they grow strong and because of where they've been planted. And the people of, uh, of, of Judah are to be reminded of this reality. That they are not the first people who have ever lived in the world. One of, the, one of the, the, the issues we have in our day is that a lot of people believe that history began the day they were born. Right? And they also believe that they are the most important people who's ever lived in the history of mankind. And they don't understand why everyone else doesn't see that they are, not, that they are the most important person who's ever lived. And again, we, we meet lots of people like this. And again, what, one of the solutions that the Bible gives to help us out of this false thinking is that we're supposed to remember back. And we're supposed to remember back not only to the days of Jehoshaphat, but we're supposed to remember all the way back to the very beginnings of the book of Genesis. And the world was not created for you. Right? Who is the world created for? The world was created that God might be glorified through this creation. You think of the, the first question to the Shorter Catechism. You know, what is the chief end of man? And the chief end of man is to what? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Right? We have been made for a purpose. We have been made to bring glory to God. 
And if we forget that, right, we end up in a situation like where Asa does at the end of his life. Right? God had established him as king over Judah. And as long as he loved the Word of God, as long as he was obedient to the Word of God, we saw this blessing that came upon him. But as soon as his heart and his mind turned away from God's grace and God's mercy, where does his life go? We see Asa not only fall down in the presence of Ben-Hadad, but we also, of course, see his body afflicted in the midst of these things. And again, as he's afflicted, what does Asa not do? Right? Asa, in his affliction, does not put two and two together. He doesn't return unto the Lord. Remember what we heard last week? He, he turned to the mediums. Right? He turned uh, to the astrologers. He turned to the, uh, the, 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 the priests of Baal for an answer to his troubles. And then we, we, we heard of his death. And at his death, uh, there's a very great burning about him. Right? And this doesn't mean there was a celebration. Right? What it means is, is that this last ditch attempt of Asa, even after death, was to place his faith in the false gods of Baal. Again, this is the world that Jehoshaphat is operating in. And so as he goes about this, this work of reformation, this work of revival in Israel, again, as we said, he, he begins by reorganizing the cities so that the priests can go to the cities and proclaim the law of the Lord. Right? Proclaim the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And as this labor goes on, we see in verse 10 the result of this labor. And it says in verse 10, And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, so they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. This is a, again, we're supposed to pick up on the correlation here. On what has taken place in the land. Right? As Jehoshaphat has brought the clear teaching of the Bible to the cities, and as the priests and the Levites are, are engaged in this work, and we see a reaction to the world around. And this is something that God had told Israel would happen in Deuteronomy chapter 5. As Again, as they're teaching the law, as they're teaching these things, the people of God were supposed to pick up on this. Right? In a lot of ways, sometimes we make the Bible a lot harder than it needs to be. Right? The, the Bible is not written for rocket scientists. Right? It's not written uh, for uh, the smart, super smart people. Right? And, you know, thank the Lord for that. I couldn't handle it if it was written for people of that, <coughs> of that, that level. Right? Yeah, I think that's true for probably most of them. Right? The Bible was written so that we could understand it. And we could pick up on things. And the Bible is very clear that as long as a land is obedient unto the Lord, as long as a land is uh, engaged in the witness of the things of God, then blessings will follow. And of course, we've seen this throughout history. And we, we, we've seen this as nations are obedient unto the Lord, that blessings come to them. And of course, the, the, the consequence is also pretty obvious. What happens to nations which turn away from the Lord? We see great judgment come down upon them. One of the things that happened in 19th and 20th century Europe was the hand of God's judgment upon them for their turning away from the things of the Lord. Right? Becoming wise in their own minds, what did they become? They became fools. You know, there's a reason why 
You, know, you see, especially in Germany, uh, the judgment of God coming down so hard upon that nation. Because the smart people in Germany decided that they didn't need God anymore. Not only that, but they decided that, 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 that God was basically a 19th century German philosopher. It's amazing how we can do that, right? We can, we, we can imagine God in our own image. And as they turned away from the Lord, again, we see God's judgment coming down upon them, coming down upon them. And why do we continue to see the judgment of God come down upon nations of Europe? It's because they continue in their rebellion against the hand of God. And again, we wonder why we see the kinds of things we do today in our own nation. And the reason for that is because we have turned away from the things of the Lord. We've turned away not only in kind of the broad sense, but even the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is largely turning away from the things of the Lord. And what's the answer? What's the solution to these things? Well, again, it's not rocket science. Right? What are the priests and Levites of the 21st century church supposed to do? Right? They're supposed to go from town to town teaching the book of the law of the Lord. Right? And, and why was this successful in the days of Jehoshaphat? It was successful because Jehoshaphat himself believed in the power of the written word of the Lord. And the Levites themselves believed that they were not just kind of going out doing something because Jehoshaphat told them they had to. One of the things that we see in the nature of the power of the work of the apostles in the book of Acts is that they actually believed that the gospel had power to convict sinners. That's one of the reasons why we see them go out, even in the midst of all of the danger, all of the promised destruction that will come upon them, that they have no fear of the world. Because they actually believe that God would do these things. That if they went out and proclaimed the gospel of grace, that men and women would come to faith in the Lord our God. And we see that almost everywhere that the apostles go, you know, there is a response to the preaching of the gospel. It's one of the things we, we, we see there in the book of Luke as we read it today. You know, why are the people so mad? Why are they so mad at, in gathering to see this man healed? Right? Because they don't want God's work to happen. Right? They don't want God to heal. They don't want God to do these things. And so when it happens, uh, they, they're filled with rage. One of the reasons why, again, we see the Lord Jesus Christ face the judgment that He did from uh, the so-called religious leaders of His day. Right? Because they had no in- the Pharisees had no interest in the power of God. Right? They were interested in the power of themselves. They were interested in glorifying themselves. Right? They were interested in keeping this little fiefdom they had in Judea. And Jesus was going to upset all of that. And so they eventually, of course, arrested him and put him to death. Because again, they weren't interested in these things that God had revealed to the people from the very foundation of the world. So brothers and sisters, as we hear of this reformation, of this revival in the land of Judah, one of the first things that we have to remember is that, of course, Jehoshaphat believed that the Word of God could do these things. And that has to be true of us. We have to believe that God can actually bring revival if we want to see revival happen. We have to believe that the Word of God has power to convict sinners if we want to see people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's important that the church today you know, re kind of invigorate itself with belief, and that what God says will happen will happen. You know, that what God has testified in His Word is true. It's not just something good people believe, but we believe it because we've seen it in the Scriptures. Right? We've seen the power of God convict sinners. We've seen the reformation that can happen when a nation rests and trusts in the power of the grace of the Lord our God. Because again, in closing this morning, the, the, the effect of the work of Jehoshaphat is because again, Jehoshaphat believed that this is what God had called a godly magistrate to do. And the Levites that he sent out believed that the book of the law of the Lord would lead to the conviction of sinners, would lead to the renewing of the faith of the people in Judah. And this faith and this power was based not upon who Jehoshaphat was, but upon who God is, what God has done and what God will do in the future. Again, by looking back and being reminded uh, that God had brought the people out of bondage to sin, bondage to slavery in Egypt, and had brought them into this land. They were renewed in their faith, renewed in their uh, belief, renewed in their understanding of the power of God. And so, brothers and sisters, as we go from this place today, let us have faith that our God is not only real, but the promises that God has made to us through the Lord Jesus Christ are real themselves as well. And let us rest and trust in the eternal promise that we have received uh, through our God. That as we place our faith and our trust and our rest in this glorious God, uh, that we have uh, that glorious blessing which is above every blessing. And the blessing uh, that will come in the heavenly places as we rest in the presence of our Almighty God for all of eternity. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father.